If I could get my first slide up here, thank you. Uh, continuing in a series, Living in a Hostile Culture. Today we're going to look at the Lord Governs the Future. Now, I want to take you back a little bit in my own journey. Um, back in 1973, I became a Christian, started reading the Bible very aggressively, started reading lots of Christian books. Some of you are wondering, how can a three-year-old read, Brandy? I was a miracle child. Um, I might have been 23, I don't know, 3, 23, somewhere in there. It's, it's all the same. Uh, anyway... Back in those days, uh, there was a book going around that was quite popular, and even people that were not followers of Christ at all started reading it, and here's what that book was. It was called The Late Great Planet Earth by Hal Lindsey. Just curious, how many here ever read that? Okay, it was super, super popular, and what it was about, it was about one element of the Bible that not a lot of people understand. It is that the Bible has something called predictive prophecy. About one-third of the Bible are predictions of things that are going to occur, different places, different people, different events. God foretells them in advance. And I remember when I got my hands on this, it was probably my first year being a Christian, I was just stunned. I mean, I was stunned enough to think that God would forgive me and, <laughs> and want somebody like me to begin with. But then when I read this, I was like, oh my goodness. Um, God has told us in advance about what's going to happen in the future and I realized I am a part of a chosen generation just like there were many predictive prophecies that led up to the first coming of Christ and there was that one generation they waited for 1500 years for the Christ to come the Messiah to come the predictions were all there but it was only that one generation that really benefited in the maximum way because they were alive when the transition happened when Jesus the creator of the universe came to earth when I read this book I realized I, I didn't just get saved I just didn't become a follower of Christ but that God had chosen me called me to be a part of his last generation of people that would proclaim his name serve him on this planet you say well Randy it's been a long time since then <laughs> That doesn't mean that those predictive prophecies aren't still very, very much in action and we're closer than ever. Kim mentioned that sometimes some of us are getting closer, closer to our treasure, closer to our home, and some of us are getting further away. It all depends on where our treasure is, where our heart is. Anyway, when I read this book, it just turned me around. Now, I'm going to share something with you that I've never shared before congregationally. I know I've shared it with a very, very few people but here's the truth. The reason that I am here in Frederick right now, the reason that this church exists right now is because when I started studying, and I went way beyond this book, I started studying prophecy and, and getting what the Bible said on my own, I became convinced that Washington, D.C. was not a good place to continue to live in. I moved to Frederick. I didn't even know Frederick existed. I came here because of Bible prophecy convinced me big cities were not going to be wise places to live. It was Bible prophecy that led me here. It was Bible prophecy that caused me to ultimately start this church some 30 years ago. And so I've, I've never shared that before. But that's how serious I take the predictive prophecies of the Bible. Now, it's a vast subject. I have a little bit of time and I've got to do communion on top of it. So I'm going to have to go as rapidly as I can. But let's start. We're going to go to Daniel 7. When you come to Daniel 7, Daniel's about 68 years old. He was about 16 when he came to Babylon. 
He's in a transition period. Soon the, the Persian Empire is going to take over. But let's just pick up reading. It says, the visions I saw, now this is Daniel speaking, the visions I saw alarmed me and I was deeply disturbed. Now I'll pause here before we go to the next slide. Here's what I've learned through the years. When it comes to predictive prophecy, when it comes to the notion that we might be the generation that literally sees the second coming of Christ, there was a generation that literally saw the first coming of Christ, there's obviously going to be a generation that literally sees the second coming. Now, as I've shared this truth through the years, I've found that, that a lot of people don't feel about it the way I did. I mean, in 1973, when I became a Christian and I learned about the second coming of Christ and the notion that I might be living in that time, that I might actually live to see it, it excited me, it motivated me. I felt thrilled, I felt called, I felt privileged that I could be alive in such a time as this. But I've learned through the years that that isn't true of everybody that hears these truths about the predictive aspects of the Bible and the fact that we might be living right on the cusp of the second coming of Christ. For some people, it's very alarming. It's very disturbing. It's very disappointing, very disorienting. Now, I want you to pause for a minute, and I want you to ask yourself. Don't raise your hand, but I want you to ask yourself, where are you on this spectrum? Randy, 1973, new follower of Christ, was thrilled. I've never lost that excitement. I've never lost that thrill, that notion that God called me and allowed me to be a part of his last testimony to planet Earth. But as I said, there are others that don't feel good about it. They feel scared. They feel alarmed. They feel disappointed to even hear this. They'd rather wish that they had heard some other message. Which camp are you in? And you need to ask yourself a second question, why? Why would one person be thrilled? Because the New Testament is full of uh, you know, encouragement to us that we should be excited about the second coming of Christ. We ought to be anticipating it. We ought to be eagerly anticipating it, says in the book of Titus. So if we're not, why not? And here's what my real hope is. My hope is that in the next two messages, this Sunday, next Sunday, which are both going to be about the future predicted prophecies of the Bible, that if you were not excited, were not enthusiastic were about it, that, that hopefully you'll allow the Spirit of God to get inside deep in your heart and your mind and that that might change. That, that's at least my goal. Okay, now, Daniel gets this vision, this dream. It's very alarming to him. And here's why. Here's what he sees. In his dream, he sees four animal images coming up out of the water. The first one he sees is like a lion, but it has eagle's wings. The second one he sees is like a bear raised up on its side with three ribs in its mouth. The third one he sees is like a leopard with four fowl's wings on its back. And then he sees this fourth one that he can't even describe. It's this monster, this dreadful monster. It doesn't look like any of the other three images in his dream in his vision now let me show you a chart and we're going to unpack this further once we get into the text here's a chart of what this dream vision slash vision meant it was a duplicate of one that Nebuchadnezzar had in Daniel chapter 2 if you read Daniel chapter 2 on your own you'll see that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream about an image a statue that had a head of gold chest and arms of silver belly and thighs of bronze legs of iron and feet of iron and clay it's the exact same vision that Daniel gets. Only now Daniel gets it. The head of gold is equal to the line. That's the 
the leader of Babylon, the chest and the arms and the bear, you'll see that's Medo-Persia, belly and thighs, that's the leopard, that's Greece, Alexander the Great, and then the legs of iron are the fourth beast, the, the Islamic Caliphate, not some European Union, not the Roman Empire. The feet of iron are, the, and the ten horns are the revived Islamic Caliphate, and I'll have a lot to tell you about that too. So, so Daniel, like Nebuchadnezzar, sees this image of four empires, but here's the key. The first three empires are consecutive. Babylon is overtaken by Media Persia. Media Persia is overtaken by Alexander the Great and Greece. But then the fourth empire skips all the way to the end of the age and the second, second coming of Christ. And that's why he emphasizes how different it was than all the others. All right, let me go and I'm going to show you some territories. Now, Here's where we have Babylon, right here. Babylon took in this small amount of territory in the Middle East. The media Persian took in more. You can see it took in Turkey and Uzbekistan and Afghanistan, Pakistan, and so forth. The Greek Empire of Alexander's took in even more territory. You see how this same region, but it's expanding. And then the Islamic Caliphate. Now, you might be wondering, well, when did the Islamic Caliphate start? Well, it started in 610 when Muhammad had this vision, supposedly, a, a demonically given vision, a fallen angel vision, of a new religion that was about a new God, a very different God than the God of the Bible called Allah. And the Islamic Caliphate started in 610. Now, the thing you need to know about Muhammad, the way he got most of his converts was with a sword in his hand. He went and he conquered and he killed multiple people. It was you turn or you die. And Islam has had a bloody history ever since. Let me give you a little, little further history. In 1923, the Islamic Caliphate that existed for over 600 years prior to that, it ended. It was called the Ottoman Empire. It ended in 1923, shortly after World War I. Up to that point, most humans today, most Westerners especially, we don't know the history of Islam. We don't know how much territory they governed. We don't know how oppressive, how violent they were. We don't know how involved in the slave trade. They started the slave trade. So, so all these things have been buried in our teaching, but you look it up and you'll see for yourself. But my point is this. This Islamic caliphate has been around a long time, started with Muhammad in 610, all the way up to 1923, it still existed. Now, 1923, Turkey became a secular nation. The Islamic caliphate or the Ottoman Empire ended, but the Bible says it's going to be revived. Let me fast forward you, 1973 or 1979. Um, Khomeini comes back to Iran and we have the start of what we now know to be the Islamic revolution it has spread all over the world it's caused terrorism all over the world it's killed thousands upon thousands of people and we even recently had ISIS try to proclaim that they had a caliphate but it was not it was not a real caliphate so there's been no caliphate since 1923 but there will be one there will be. That's what the scripture teaches. So I'm trying to go fast because there's an awful lot of information here. I've done other extensive teaching on this stuff on the Bible Institutes. All right, let me go back to Daniel chapter 7. Now we're in the text. Daniel says, I went up to one of those standing there. That would have been an angelic being, an extraterrestrial angelic being, and I asked him to explain it all, meaning the vision, the dream. So he told me the meaning. He said, these four huge beasts are, what does it say? four empires do you see how the bible explains itself if you if we read it the four beasts are four empires which will arise on earth and the people of the supreme god will receive royal power and keep it forever and ever 
That's the end of the dream. The kingdom of God comes to crush the fourth beast. It goes on. Then I wanted to know more about the fourth beast, which was not like any of the others. It was not like Babylon. It was not like Media Persia. It was not like Greece. The terrifying beast, which crushed its victims with its bronze claws and its iron teeth and then trampled on them. This is the explanation I was given. The fourth beast is a what? Fourth empire. Hasn't, it hasn't exposed itself in its final form yet. We saw it start in 610 with Muhammad. We saw it end in, in a form in 1923, the end of the Ottoman Empire. That's where the caliphate ended. It will come back again. It will likely come back in our lifetime. The fourth empire that will be on the earth, and it will be different from all the other empires. It will crush the whole earth and trample it down. The ten horns are ten kings who will rule that empire. Then another king will appear. He will be very different from the earlier ones. I'm not even sure he'll be altogether human. He might be a hybrid. Uh, and will overthrow three kings. He will speak against the supreme God and oppress God's people. Notice that. He will oppress who? God's people. Will God's people be on the earth when this entity, when this being, when this empire exists? Evidently, because he's oppressing God's people. He will try to change their religious laws and festivals. This is speaking particularly to the Jews. And God's people will be under his power. God's people will be under his power for how long? Now keep this three and a half years in mind. Next week, you will see how crucial understanding these three and a half years are. They, these are the three and a half years before Christ returns. And the Bible just says tons about them. God alerts us to the future because his people that live in a transition period need to know the signs of the time so that we can be equipped, we can be prepared, and we can enter into those times and stay faithful to God. Folks, I, I've said it before and I'm going to say it again. You don't have the luxury anymore of not knowing Bible prophecy. I, I used to meet people through the years being a Christian. They would say things, oh, you know, that prophecy, I, I, I just care about practical living. You know, I'm just thinking about how do I serve Jesus here and now. Well, you can't serve Jesus here and now wisely, efficiently, and effectively unless you understand the predictive prophecies of the Bible. God gave these to us to equip us, to warn us, to strengthen us, to give us clarity as we go through these transition periods and to bury our heads in the sand is to dishonor God, frankly. We can't forego understanding, learning, predictive Bible prophecy about the end of the age, about the return of Christ, because we are living in a transitional period. Randy, are you saying that Jesus is going to come in the next year or so? No, I'm not saying that. I'm going to show you later on in this message. There's multiple signs that have to be fulfilled before Christ returns. But that doesn't mean that we all in this room may not live to see those signs because they can happen quite rapidly. All right. Let's go from here. The heavenly court will sit in judgment and take away his power. This is this persecutor, this last persecutor of God's people, sometimes called the Antichrist, and will destroy him completely. The power and greatness of all the kingdoms on earth will be given to the people of the supreme God. The royal power will never end, and all the rulers on earth will serve and obey them. And then it's a picture of the second coming of Christ, Daniel 7, 13, earlier verses. During this vision in the night that Daniel, Daniel had, I saw what looked like a human being. Other versions say the son of man or a son of man. He was approaching me surrounded by clouds, and he went to the one who had been living forever and was, and, and was presented to him. 
He was given authority, honor, and royal power so that the people of all nations, races, and languages would serve him. His authority would last how long? Forever. And his kingdom would never what? Never end. So we know this is the return of Christ. This is one of the earliest pictures, clear pictures we have of the return of Christ in the Old Testament. So let me lodge it in your mind again. He gets a dream, a vision of four empires. The first three are consecutive, Babylon. Babylon is overtaken by Medo-Persia. Medo-Persia is overtaken by Greece, Alexander the Great. But then it skips. And the fourth empire exists at the very end of the age when Christ returns. It is the return of Christ that crushes the fourth empire. I want to suggest to you that we are living in the time when that fourth empire is starting to move around and get into its final form. So that's why this is a critical thing for us. Folks, if, if, if you don't watch news and if you don't know what's going on in the Middle East, you're, you're missing a lot. You, you don't know what a volatile, dangerous, fragile world we live in. You say, Randy, that stuff scares me, man. I can't sleep at night if I, if I watch that kind of stuff. I understand. But what I've learned is this. I'm not a crazy person at all. But, but I've learned that if I trust Christ since age 23, I can look at whatever God lays out and I can so, be so confident in him that he becomes my courage. He becomes my strength. I don't have any confidence in myself at all. I have complete confidence in Christ. So if you're concerned about the things... Uh, it all comes back to the same thing. The, the same Christ that keeps us breathing, that keeps our families breathing, that keeps us alive at any different time in human history is the same God that we can trust to go through even a transition period in history. All right, what does the prophecy mean? Now, what did it mean to Daniel, first of all, because it had a, a, a meaning to him in his day and age? Obviously, he was not going to see that fourth kingdom. He did live through all the others. He lived through Babylon. He lived through Medo-Persia. And he, lived, um, he did not live to see Greece. He, he died before then. He lived through those two. But it had a meaning to Daniel in that this, that, that no matter what it looked like, no matter how powerful, these, these images of empires were, were all like a beast. They were powerful. They were intimidating. They used force. They used cruelty. They used deceit. Uh, evil has a lot of power. Evil has a lot of tools in its toolbox. But ultimately, it's God in his kingdom, his love, his truth, that has the deepest power. Because evil, as powerful as it is, it can't win the heart of a human being or another angelic entity either. It can only coerce. It can only intimidate. It can only control from the outside. And it's God and his love and his truth that ultimately went out. And Daniel would know that even though he was living in bondage as it were as a captor in Babylon then in Persia that ultimately his God was in control his God governed the future and this is something we need to hang on to and, and have clear in our minds at a time of transition like the one we live in so what does the prophecy mean first of all let me take you to a couple verses the temporal meaning Isaiah 46 and Isaiah does this in several places where where God literally challenges the false gods of the nations he says to them, predict the future. Tell what's going to happen in advance because there's no fallen angel. There is no fake God or goddess that can predict the future with 100% accuracy. God alone stands in that regard. He says, remember the former things of old, for I'm God and there's no other. I am God and there is none like me declaring the what? The end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done. 
saying, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. So the first thing we need to see is that no matter what things look like on planet Earth, sometimes it looks like the, the power of evil, it just kind of controls everything. Not so. God is working out a plan, and that plan has been set from eternity. Let me show you, share another verse with you. The transcendent meaning of this prophecy, Ephesians 3.10, New Testament. It says, God's purpose in all this was to use the church. The church is not talking about a building. The church is used of those that have put their trust in Christ and become his follower. We are his hands, we are his feet, we are his eyes, we are his now, his body. If you have put your trust in Christ and you're a follower of Christ, you are a member of the church, the body of Christ. The church meets in localized assemblies like this all over the world. But the church, it's the people who are followers of Christ. It's not the buildings we meet in. God's purpose in all this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to who? To all the who? Unseen, Unseen rulers and authorities where? In the heavenly place. I've said this before, and, and I want it to, to sink into your hearts. People say things like, well, you know, is the universe inhabited or are we all alone? Well, the Bible has said from the beginning, the universe is very inhabited. There are multiple millions of other beings just like us with mind, reason, emotions, and will. Uh, they're called generically in, in Scripture angels. I think we best start thinking of them in terms of extraterrestrials. We are terrestrial. We are from the planet Earth. They are not from planet Earth. They are extraterrestrial. You say, Randy, are, are you saying that there's extraterrestrials and then there's angels? No, I'm saying angels should be called in our minds extraterrestrials because the great deception that is soon to come to pass on this planet, it's going to revolve around this whole notion of extraterrestrials. Who are they? What are they really about? How many of you know, and I asked you this a couple weeks ago, how many of you know that our Pentagon came forth just a couple of years ago and acknowledged for the first time they acknowledged ufos are real we don't know what they are we don't know how they do what they do we don't know where they came from or why they're here how many know that our pentagon announces can i see your hands if you don't know you should know check it out if you if you think that i'm just making this up do you realize how 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 unusual this is they have they have hidden this for 70 years they have buried it they have ruined people's lives and reputations who tried to disclose it and now they're acknowledging it they're acknowledging there is some kind of a foreign power that we can't defend ourselves from for the military to admit that that's really really unique the only reason that i can see that it's happening is because they they know there there's a timetable that's being pushed forward in their day and age so angels, extraterrestrials, the universe being full of life, the scripture has taught that all along. So God's purpose in all this was to, so that the church, ordinary followers of Christ, ordinary followers of Christ that have been, because of our trust in Christ, we've turned from sin and we've turned to righteousness. And folks, whatever we're calling a Christian, if you're sitting there this morning, and I don't mean to be insulting, but I'm just trying to be forthright with you. If we are sitting there this morning calling ourselves a Christian and it has not, whatever we're calling being a Christian, it, if it has not caused us to so trust in Christ that we are putting evil out of our lives, we no longer want to sin. We no longer want to do anything that God says is not his will, but we want with all of our heart to live righteously, to live the way that God designed us. If that has not occurred in us that whatever we're calling being a Christian, we're deceived. It's not real. 
The Bible doesn't support it. The Bible says clearly, cover to cover, that anyone that's truly trusted in God, truly been reconciled to God by putting trust in Christ and becoming his follower, departs from evil. You say, but Randy, what, what about, you know, when you're stuck with a habit? Well, that's different. The Scripture talks about putting off our old self and putting on the new. That's progressive warfare we have to go through internally, but the war better be happening. And when we're planning to sin in advance or when we're treating sin as though it's a nonchalant thing, we're deceived. So I just, I just want to let this sink in a little bit because some of you, you know, you kind of need to hear it. Our churches are full of people that think they're saved and they're not. So, but the church, the real church, we're showing these powers. We're teaching them something about God's wisdom. This was his, when did the plan come from? His what plan? Eternal, Eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. The transcendent idea of prophecy is this. God, before he created anything, he realized that the most loving thing he could do would be to create beings in his own image, beings that could experience life the way he himself experiences. But he knew that if he created beings in his own image with mind, will, emotions, imagination, uh, reasoning faculties, free will, he knew that it would be misused. Heaven, and I've said this before, but just for some of you who haven't heard it, Heaven was the place where sin originated. Evil started in heaven in the very presence of God. Lucifer, a rebellious angel, on his own decided he wanted what God had and he started this rebellion. So the question becomes, if evil could start in a perfect environment in the very presence of God, what's to stop it from happening in the future when God creates the new heaven and new earth, which Revelation 21 talks about? Well, what's happened in between is what's going to stop it. God has now, and he knew from the start with his plan that it would require God himself to reveal his sacrificial love to win back the trust of those that can be won. He did this in Christ, and now we that are followers of Christ, we have been won back to Christ. We trust him more than we trust ourselves. We want his will more than we want our own. We know he knows what's best. We want to follow him. We follow him freely, fully, and forever. And we have experienced what sin brings. We've lived in a world where we breathe it in. We've seen it wreck ourselves, wreck our relationships, wreck our world. So because we now know what God says about sin is true and we know that God is totally good, totally trustworthy, we have been, as it were, immunized to any evil outbreak in the future. So all this is being worked out. My point is this. Prophecy shows us God is not reactionary. He's not caught off guard by anything. He's had an eternal plan. He knew from eternity past that before he created any image-bearing beings, it would require him to sacrifice himself in order to stabilize the universe for, forever and to abolish sin, abolish evil for all time. So all that's in, in, in prophecy. You know what? Now let's go on to the second part. Is what, what does the prophecy mean to us today? The fact that the Bible is about one-third predictive prophecy. What does this mean for us? What, what is the purpose that God has for us? First, this, there's this. Inner stabilization. When I was 23, I became a Christian, and I started reading the Bible and started studying prophecy, and I realized that, that God had predicted the future. He names nation. He names events. And these things were happening. For example, uh, the Bible talked about that Israel would be scattered all over the world and would go out of existence as a nation. But then the Bible says in Ezekiel 36 through 39, it says that in the last days, Israel will be reborn as a nation, and they would come back in their land in the last days. And then it gives in chapter 38 and 39 this alignment of nations which happen to all be Islamic nations that would attack Israel when they are regathered in their land, when they are reborn as a nation. Folks, 
This has all happened. Israel ceased to exist as a nation in 70 AD. The Roman general Titus came in, destroyed Jerusalem, crucified about 100,000 Jews, and the nation of Israel went out of existence. But then, May 14, 1948, against all odds, Israel became a nation again. 1878 years, they didn't exist as a nation. People could have made fun of the Bible, could have made fun of the Bible prophecies about Israel being a nation again, but they couldn't make fun of it after 1948. Then 1967, they recaptured Jerusalem. The Bible predicted that they would recapture Jerusalem. Uh, if you get in the book of Zechariah, chapter 12 through 14, you'll see the last great battle is with armies of the world attacking Jerusalem. And it's there in chapter 14 that Christ returns to save his people, Jews and those that are his followers. So all these things we're, we're seeing happen. We're seeing, we saw, like I said, in 1979, the revival of radical Islam, that, that final beginning of the, the last caliphate or empire that will oppose God and his word and his will on this planet. So this convinced me many, many, many years back Man, the Bible is different than anything on this planet Earth. You, you check it out. All the other religions, they don't have this element in them of predictive prophecy that is specific and verifiable. The Bible is full of it, full of it. Nearly one-third of the Bible is predictive prophecy. So this convinced me way back as a young guy, man, when you hold the Bible in your hand, you, you hold the treasure of all treasures. This book, I, I, I found out in my mind that it was worthy of my utmost attention my, my most passionate study and I've continued to do so you know ever since 1973 you hold a treasure in your hands if you have the word of God it's more important than any other book on the planet second Timothy says all scripture it's inspired by God prophecy proves that beyond a shadow of a doubt it's useful for teaching the truth rebuking error correcting faults and giving instruction for right living all of which we need so that the person who serves God may be fully qualified and equipped to do every kind of good deed. There's a man named Stephen Stoner. Many decades ago, he wrote a book called Science Speaks. And in the book, he did studies on probability. And what he was looking at were messianic prophecies. And, and he took the probability study that what, if, what it would take, what would be the probability, the statistical probability of just eight prophecies predicting the Messiah all coming to pass which they did in Jesus and many, many more than that. The statistic, the probability, statistical probability of just eight. Now, mind you, hundreds of Bible prophecies have come to pass, but just eight. It was a statistic of one followed by 17 zeros. And Stoner gives an example of what that would look like. He says, imagine that you buried the entire state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars. And then someone took one silver dollar and painted it black on both sides and secretly went out somewhere in Texas, as vast as geographical areas is, and buried that one silver dollar. And then you're flying over in a helicopter and you tell the helicopter pilot when to put down and then you reach in or shovel in, whatever, and you grab. The chances of you grabbing that one blackened silver dollar, that's what it would be like for just eight Bible prophecies. But there's hundreds that have come to pass many of which are coming to pass in our day and age that's why we need to understand the, the prophecies of the Bible but it shows that when we hold the word of God we are holding God's full final revelation to humanity and we must treasure it and if you're not studying the word of God 
oh my goodness, buy your, before you leave here today, we don't get any money out of this, buy, go to our bookstore, buy a study Bible, because the Bible is not an easy book to start reading. We all need help, we all need coaching, we all need direction. And then spend the rest of your life carving out some time to let God speak to you personally through his word. And you'll be shocked, you'll be shocked at what a difference it starts to make in your life. So it brings inner stabilization. Let me add another scripture to that. 1 Corinthians 14, it says, But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and what? When God gives us his prophetic outline of what's going to happen, it's meant to do these things for us. It's meant to strengthen us if we're going to go through some turbulent times, transitionary times. It's meant to encourage us because God's kingdom will come. His will will be done on this earth. Uh, his people will ultimately be on the right side of history and it's meant to comfort us so if thoughts of the second coming of Christ and living in the generation that might be leading to it if that troubles you it's not meant to it's it's meant to do just the opposite it's meant to bring inner stability to comfort to encourage let me share one more with you first Peter 1 13 it says therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming I don't know what your hopes are everybody has hopes you might hope you get a raise next year or you might hope that your roof doesn't leak or that your car will last another 100,000 miles I don't know what your hope is but scripture says hope for something that can't disappoint you or elude our grasp put your hopes on what's going to happen when Christ returns when Christ returns we're all going to receive new bodies our bodies are going to be immortalized we're never going to know pain again we're never going to know sickness again all the all the switches upstairs here will be turned on how, how, how many of you wouldn't mind having a little bit of a new body you know, I'm, I'm wearing mine out <laughs> so when Christ returns man we get a new body he sets up his kingdom on earth and finally this place becomes a place where everybody's cared for and loved and safe and, and so we're to set our hope on that you say but Randy that that seems so far-fetched but Jesus rose from the dead the dead to assure us that we can count on that so we're to be to receive inner stabilization by these prophecies of the certainty of the kingdom of God coming let's look at it from one more angle the prophecies are also meant to bring outer preparation in other words they're to help us in a time of transition in a hostile world that's going to be increasingly hostile they're there to help us to prepare I, I, I'm just going to ask a question how many of you guys when you hear there's a big snowstorm coming it's going to be a three-footer man and it's going to be followed by days of ice that's going to take down the power grid more than likely how many of you race out to the store can I just see your hands okay all right so most of us in here do and what do you buy how many how many will just say it out loud the toilet paper <laughs> I'm not even going to go any further than that we just all know it's true right one more how many of you in here ladies I'm talking to that, that have had children um you prepared a little bit differently I mean you change your schedule around a little bit you change your routines around a little bit the closer you got to when the baby was due can I see your hands okay so when you knew when you knew a transition was coming you prepared 
and, and, and you had some good tires on that car, you know, and, and, and you made sure you could get to the hospital or whatever it is. You had some friends that were, were going to... We prepare, and when we're prepared, you don't want to be in that snowstorm not having toilet paper, right? You don't want to be that guy. <laughs> God gives us predictive prophecy so that we can prepare. I should have said something early on. That book, The Late Great Planet Earth, if you happen to go read it, 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 it it's, it's okay as a beginner starter, but it, it gives a misinterpretation of prophecy. It, it lays out that we're going to be magically whisked away seven years before any trouble comes to earth if you're one of jesus people you're going to be saved from the great tribulation the bible comprehensively does not support that kind of teaching and i've done extensive teaching on it if you want to look at some of my bible institute stuff i wish i wish it did teach that but it just doesn't here we go outer preparation for you know very well He's writing to followers of Christ. You know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a what? Now, most people when they read that, they say, see Randy, we don't know when Jesus is coming. He's coming like a thief in the night. Nobody can know the day or the hour. No, he, he's just going to come secretly. How many of you, that's the impression you get. He's going to come like a thief in the night. That, that, that's secret and nobody's going to be ready for it. It's okay. If that's your impression, is that your impression? most Christians that I've seen that is their impression you know why because they don't read the rest of the passage watch this watch how smart you're going to get <laughs> for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night while people are saying peace and safety destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will and they and they will not escape watch what happens watch the next verse but you you brothers and sisters are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you what does it say like a thief huh that's different so that's saying that God's people, because they know his word, they know his predictive prophecies, are not going to be surprised by the second coming of Christ at all. They're going to know the prophecies. They're going to see the signs. You say, Randy, there's no signs for Jesus. Oh, there's lots and lots of signs. In Matthew 24 alone, there are 18 signs, depending on how you count. I, I could give you multiple signs. I'm going to go further. Some of you, you're not going to like this at all. Some of you, you really think, that Jesus could come today. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But you think Jesus could come today. I'm going to stand right here and tell you Jesus cannot come today. He will not come today. He laid out himself in his own word multiple signs that must occur before he will return. One of which we're going to dig into very deeply next week about this three and a half year period and about the temple of God and some things that have not occurred. So this notion that Jesus could come at any time and whisk us all away secretly, it's not supported by scripture. You brothers and sisters, not in the darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. Why won't it surprise us? Let me go to Matthew 24. As Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him in private they said, tell us when all this will be, they asked, and what will happen to show us that it's the time for your coming and the what? The end of the age. And then if you read the rest of Matthew 24, Jesus proceeds to give at least 18 different signs 
we are to be those that know the signs, watch for the signs, know the predictive prophecies, know what God says about the alignment of the nations, know what he says about Israel, know what he says about the convergence of technology. Listen, the scripture talks about this last global government. It'll, it'll have its power based around an economic system, an economic system that is dependent upon knowing how every man and woman and boy and girl spends their money and it will have the ability to stop us from spending our money uh if if we how many of you i'll just say how many of you heard rumors that the world is moving toward a digitized a, a unified digitized currency can i see your hand when we go there folks you and i no longer have any privacy whatsoever over what we buy or what we sell and the government powers will have the ability to stop us. If they say, We're not, we don't want you to spend on certain things, you won't be able to spend on those things anymore. We are moving fast. It's the first time in human history where we are living in a surveillance society and a society that can actually track every human being on the planet with artificial intelligence and, and other means. All these things are converging. The, na- the nation, the national setup, like Scripture says, the technology, all of it's happening in our day and age. We dare not be those that bury our head in the sand or we won't be prepared. Jesus goes on, like I said, to give 18 signs. These signs are amplified in the rest of the New Testament and the Old Testament too. They're clarified and repeated again and again. Now I'm going to close with this statement. The power of evil is limited and brief. God gave this prophecy to Daniel so that Daniel could see no matter how oppressive these Gentile empires seemed, their power was limited. They couldn't reach the human heart. They could only coerce people from the outside. Evil can coerce, it can deceive. It can't authentically reach a human heart. Only God and his love and his truth can. Evil is limited though, and it's brief because righteousness goodness peace safety is going to go on forever but the power of God's love is unlimited and eternal God can reach our hearts and bring a person to authentically love him love righteousness follow him freely fully and forever I hope that's true of you one more statement the God who governs the future guarantees our forever this is important as we go through a transition period in history, if we are honored to, to live to see the return of Christ and all the events that precede that, then we have to stick this deeply in our hearts, that God who governs the future, who knows the future, who predicts the future, who alone can predict the future, who has put it down where it can be verified in his word, he guarantees for you and I our forever. If we've put our trust in Christ and we are his followers, we needn't fear the future. We should be excited that God has called us and allowed us to be his last day people, if that's what it turns out to be. Now, before we turn a corner, we're going to kind of turn a corner and we're going to, we're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which, by the way, is connected to the second coming of Christ, you'll see. But before we do that, I want you to just pause for a minute and ask yourself that question that I kind of floated early in the message. I said that sometimes what I learned is that some people weren't excited about being a part of the generation that will likely see the second coming as what I was from the start. Some people feel fear. Some people feel, you know, um, that they don't want to hear about it. If that was you when you came in, I hope, I hope you'll just let, let the love of God kind of sink deeper he, he's never going to put you and I in a circumstance that he's not going to equip us to endure and, and, and if he's called us to be his last witnesses on this planet what an honor what, what, what a thrill 
we're going to see things that no one has ever seen before that Daniel didn't get to see except in a in a vision so I'm going to urge you to to maybe take a step in your hearts today to say you know the God that I've trusted every day of my life thinking about it or not thinking about it the God that I've trusted to keep my brain working my heart beating my lungs filling with air that same God I'm going to trust day to day second to second no matter what kind of turbulence may or may not occur on this planet I can trust him he loves me he's for me he's with me he'll never leave me and forsake me he'll never forsake you he died on a cross to prove to you and I we can trust him with all our heart with all our future with all our fortune he guarantees our eternal future it's settled it's sealed the kingdom of God will come you will live in a world where you feel loved all the time safe all the time where everyone will have goodwill they'll never again be evil no more sickness pain sorrow and disease he guarantees that by his resurrection from the dead and man if we get to live to be his last people on the planet to, to speak his name and share his truth let's do it let's do it with boldness let's do it every opportunity we get let's share Christ now while it's still safe and peaceful to do so because we're living in a hostile culture and it's only going to get more hostile you need to understand that it's not gloom and doom it's not pessimism it's realism and God wants us to internalize it so we'll be prepared Let, let's pray Father only you only your spirit penetrating into us can can bring these truths to so so energize us inwardly that we are willing and ready to face whatever times may be I pray for those that are fearful those that are scared those that are maybe feeling that this is uh, disappointing or discouraging speak to them in the way that you spoke to me so many years ago that they too might be thrilled to think that we might be a part of your last day program I ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.